Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Hi, Satellite Sisterhood. It's Leanne here, and I want to thank Audible for supporting Satellite Sisters. Many of you have already taken advantage of the great offer to download a 30-day trial of Audible and get your free audiobook download when you sign up today. Yay! Don't you love it? Don't you enjoy listening to audiobooks just as easily as you listen to a podcast? If you're interested, if you haven't gotten on board yet, you can sign up today and still get that free audiobook. It's audiblepodcast.com forward slash sisters, audiblepodcast.com forward slash sisters. You'll find all the information you need there to download your free audio book today. Maybe you want to try what I'm doing. I am going back to school with Audible. That's right. It was time for me to get my student hat back on. I signed up for the great courses, or signed up. I downloaded the great courses. I'm listening to a 12-hour lecture series called Heroes and Legends, the most influential characters of literature. Loving it. Thank you, Professor Thomas Shipley. I love listening to your brilliant lectures about people like Elizabeth Bennett and Odysseus and Bilbo Baggins, and I don't have to take any tests. I just get all the enjoyment of learning, none of the pain of test-taking. So join me. Go back to school with Audible this year. Find it at audiblepodcast.com forward slash sisters. Thanks, Audible. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. It's Tuesday, April 7th. Spring is here. I can feel it. And we know because Outlander is back. And we are going to get to that and more today. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California. I am joined by my sister, Julie Dolan in Dallas, Texas. Hi, Jewel. How's everything going there? Lynn, so happy to be with you here on this Tuesday, Spring Tuesday morning. Yes, good. Yeah, we have a busy, busy show. As I mentioned, uh, Sister Sassnatch is back. That's our Outlander recap. The series is back on the air. It's the second part of season one. And it did not disappoint, Julie. I think it's fair to say. Fifty shades of plaid, Lynn. <laughs> I mean, wow. Okay, but that, oh. that's going to come up later on in the show. Just hold on to your kilts, ladies. All right. Uh, but we also have a bunch of follow-ups we're going to do, news stories we covered here on the air over the last couple weeks, including the Ellen Powell trial. And Julie is our latest lactivist. She is going full board on breast milk is the way to go. So she has an update on that. We have some updates from the Facebook page. Uh, the New York Times had a big article on over 50 and going back to college, the huge numbers of people uh, in the over 50 category who are seeing seeking various degrees and all kinds of universities that are accommodating them. We have a whole TV talk block, which is actually pretty newsy. Uh, pretty newsy. The yes. news about Kimmy Schmidt uh, and uh, John Oliver's interview with Edward Snowden. And then we are going to finish up with Sister Sassnatch. But Julie, can I just say I would like to dedicate this podcast to somebody. I would like to dedicate this show to Kelly Clarkson because this okay. week, Chris Wallace... Chris Wallace was so mean to Kelly Clarkson. Like, he made a joke about how she needed to lay off the deep dish pizza. 
All right. He's a grown man. He knows Caster. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why he did that. You well, know, I can't understand it, Liam, because such I mean, a cheap they're joke. in totally different worlds. Oh, right. Okay. I mean, Kelly Clarkson is just doing a bang-up job as, you know, as a singer, as a former American Idol. She's a new mom. Okay, she's in one world. Chris Wallace, he, he's supposed to be doing hard-hitting interviews, you know, the Sunday news show. They, their two worlds do not intersect. Why? Why? Why did he do do that? He's right. not a funny man. He's no, not, he's, he's supposed to be very serious. I don't understand it. And he, she killed it on American Idol this week. She's Kelly Clarkson, Chris Wallace. If you haven't noticed, she has a lot of Grammys. She can really sing. She can really write. People love her. They don't care if she's having, as she's admitted several times, she has good years and bad. And don't we all on the scale, don't we all miss Kelly mm -hmm. Clarkson? Mm -hmm. People want to be Kelly Clarkson's friend. No one wants to be Chris Wallace's friend. Okay. So you should. I'm sorry. Leanne, you are so right about that. I'm <laughs> yeah. really right about that. And it's, it's very untimely because I heard that, you know, Chris Wallace's wife has a couple of cookbooks and, you know, he's, you know, he's always out promoting his wife cookbooks i mean how uh, you know and he's trying to you know uh, oh he's the big you know the great husband the great family man what a you know that was a cruel and terrible a cheap shot it was I just, just don't a cheap understand. shot and a low blow and we love you kelly we love you you sang like an angel on american idol this week you killed it with your two numbers and you were so nice to those little idols who idolize you so kelly this show is for you there you oh. go. Well, Leanne, that's <laughs> a very strong dedication. We might just dedicate multiple shows to Kelly. That's okay. right. So, Maybe it's the year of Kelly Clarkson. Maybe yeah. it is here. Okay. Leanne, I also just want to mention our Facebook page, which, you know, any listener can join. Okay. It's you, uh, our Facebook group. Um that they did a marvelous job over this holiday weekend with the Easter and Passover pictures. I mean, it was a joy to go there, Leanne. It really made my Easter. There were so many pictures of bunnies, of eggs, of uh, beautiful children, of wonderful families. I mean, of food. I toast on matzah, matzah toast. <laughs> yes, I mean, it was, I mean, that was it. It was an Easter Passover extravaganza. So I just want to put out the word, you know, Mother's Day is around the corner, and I hope we can do the same thing. That Satellite Sisters Facebook group can be, you know, can be your source of inspiration on Mother's Day, because it, because it was just wonderful to visit there. And it really put me in a very festive mood. Excellent. And a special note to uh, listener Monica, who friended me. And I accepted, as I always do. Well, first I check you out to make sure you're not uh, a man in, <laughs> with three friends who lives in Singapore. If you're that, I don't friend you. But uh, Monica totally checked out, so I accepted her friend thing. And then she messaged me this morning. She's like, you know... Um, I said it popped up that you might be my friend, and so I, I am an avid listener, but if you don't want to mix the two worlds, you can go ahead and unfriend me. <laughs> I'm not going to unfriend you. I'm happy to have you uh, as a friend on any page. So there you go. But if you are not following along on Facebook, please do. It's a lively discussion or group page. You just have to submit, and we'll approve you again unless... Unless you are a man with, who joined less than a month ago with 59 groups to his name. We don't approve those uh, people. But if you're a legitimate satellite sister or satellite mister, we would love to have you along. We have an official page. And then we each all have individual pages. So there you go. Um, Jewel, little update. I mentioned last week on the show that I was more excited than my neighbor 
because they were getting a German Shepherd puppy, Maverick. Yes. yes. Okay. Maverick arrived, and I was going to be the furry godmother. So, mm-hmm. Maverick Wait, arrived. Are you past tense, Lane? I'm a little worried here about No, no. Report. Well, I just reporting what I said earlier, and I can report now. Maverick arrived. He is spectacular. I mean, he's adorable. He's a four-month-old German Shepherd. He could not be cuter. He's already adores me. I can tell. <laughs> You're, you you can, can just uh, tell that, Leanne. I can. Yeah, I, I believe I'm going to relish my role as the furry godmother. Um, I am so happy not to have a puppy. <laughs> I forgot. Puppies are so much work. You know, they are like having small children in the house. They're really like babies or toddlers. You have to take them out a lot. You have to entertain them. You have to really keep your eye on them at all times. But just being able to pop in and play a little hide-and-seek with them or throw the tuggy toy or take them on a walk, so far, so good. So I'm really and looking forward to it. And your neighbors that, that you're just stopping over and uh, getting the dog, the puppy all riled up and then leaving? I don't rile up the puppy. Well. I don't rile up the puppy. No, I don't do that. I wouldn't do that. I play with the puppy. I'm helping to train the puppy. He doesn't He's never trained a, a dog, so sit, stay. I know how to do that kind of stuff. No, I'm not riling up. And then um, he's taking this week off, my neighbor, but I know when he goes back to work, he's going to be very grateful that I'm around to walk Maverick a couple, you know, throughout the week as I see fit in an okay. informal basis. So uh, I don't have a picture of Maverick yet because it is hard to get puppies to stand still. But um, <laughs> <laughs> does he have the floppy ears? Like no, no, he's a German Shepherd. Boom, they go straight up. He's, mm-hmm. he's, yeah, at this point, cause he's, he's four months old. So he's 16 weeks. So, and he is a nice broad chest. He's going to be a nice sized dog. He's, um, but he's a fairly calm male German shepherd just, you know, seems to have fallen right in line. Uh, and he's just adorable, adorable. I mean, he's a puppy, you know, they're all adorable. <laughs> so really the cute. skateboard trick, how's that working out? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. we got to get the sit and stay first. There's some basic commands we got to work on, but I feel he's very teachable. Like <laughs> yesterday in about 12 seconds, I taught him hide and seek. You know, that oh. game, he got it right away. Uh, I don't know if you play that with your dogs, but me and I used to play that all the time. You throw the ball and then you hide behind the garbage cans and then they go get the ball and then they run and find you. And they're surprised every time that they found you. So, uh, so we're just starting small, you know. You're having some fun in your backyard. I'm happy to hear that. That's good. That's a good report. Thank you very much. All right. And then, um, yeah, I may be too busy to go back to school. That's all I can say say okay a couple months ago i actually looked into going back to school julie I really thought, really going for what yeah well that's a good question you know i thought uh well first of all being a writer these days is a very hard profession you know and so most of the writers i know teach writing like that's what they do they have a real job where they're teaching at a college or a community college or they're on staff at a magazine or something and then they do their writing in their spare time uh, or in their free time even novelists who sell books now it's just a very tough way to make a living so i thought well maybe i should go back to school and get my master's of fine arts i never did that and to teach at a community college you need an mfa And so uh, you need a master's of some sort, and I don't have any advanced degrees. So I looked into that, and I looked into a couple of programs, and going to school sounds fun, you know, like Mm -hmm. looking at the classwork, but then I realized I would just be a terrible teacher. So... (laughs) 
What qualities do you have, Leanne, that would, would make you a terrible teacher? <laughs> Just, I have a certain level of impatience with people who don't rise to the occasion. So, you know, I, I don't think I, I don't think I have a, a, a strong teaching gene. You know, uh, you didn't I get that. that. No. I don't. Here's what I don't. I don't believe I could teach everyone. I believe I could teach a few. Just the smart ones yes, in the class. Exactly. The ones that the ones are already I, excelling. The ones I liked. Yeah, the I ones just you liked. Okay. Yeah, I don't really have that. I want to lift everyone up. No, I don't really have that. <laughs> so. Woo. And well, here's I, the thing, though. You know, like, students get to review um, uh, professors yeah. and teachers, too. So that might put you more in line. You might have to fake liking everybody, because now, you know, students have a, a, you know, it's not exactly a democracy, but they do have a role uh, in evaluating teachers. Yeah, so. again, I, I don't think, I'm not ashamed that I wouldn't be a good teacher. There are many other, I wouldn't be a good accountant, for instance. There are many, yeah. many careers I wouldn't be that good at. Okay. So, so, uh, so just have to find that there are careers that I am good at, but, uh, so I just have to find out what that is or for the next phase of my life, if I was going to get quote more of a real job, a full-time job, what would I be doing? So I did check it out. Schools are not cheap either. So then yeah. I had to look at that, like, well, an MFA, that's going to cost me, uh, you know, like $40,000 and that's a lot to recover income wise at this point in my life you know, career in my life. Yeah. Um, but the, the cost benefit, benefit analysis on that is not strongly. If yeah. I was a better in accounting, I might be able to throw out some actual numbers, but just, just, you know, just, just guessing, just guesstimating in my head, uh, like what an adjunct professor at a community college makes versus taking out a lot of student debt. It didn't seem like a good idea to do it now. Um, but, the New York Times had an article this week that there are lots of people, 50 plus, headed back to college in, by uh, 2030, the number of Americans 65 and older will grow to 72 million, which is up from 40 million in 2010. So all of a sudden we're going to have this giant aging population, many of whom were either retired early because they were forced out of their companies or just retired and then decided I'm still going to live for 20, 30 more years. I think I'd like to have a whole nother career. So they're sort of looking at educating this population and what opportunities there might be. And this is everything from like Stanford University to there's a whole community college program across the country that offers free classes for 50 plus students. I actually checked that out this morning. This morning. Well, free, free is that free. good. I mean, free. I think that's, yeah. a, that's, I mean, there yeah. seems a couple of uh, obstacles. You know, one is the incredible cost, right. just as you mentioned, that, you know, I mean, it's if you're if you are planning a second career, it might not be as are you able to generate enough income to, you know, to pay off the student loans and to, you know, the, the cost of it. And then the second is, do you feel like it would be some kind of barrier for you to be in a program with people that are 25, 30 years younger than you? No, no, that no I don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I because you're the youngest sister uh, and you've always believed that. Even though you're now, whatever, 50, you're whatever, yeah. you're still the youngest. Yeah. Okay. So you yeah. will always in your whole life be the youngest. <laughs> and so therefore you and 20 year olds will be just fine. I think I do fine. I think I do well, but, yes. uh, but I, it was interesting to me that they are seeing an uptick, uh, in 
you know, online classes and people re-educating themselves and various things. Uh, Tulane, for instance, has discovered that alumni love to come back to campus and take classes. So they're designing classes for that. Some people want to matriculate with degrees. Others don't care about getting credit. They're just happy to be on campus learning. And that's what I realized. Like when I was looking at graduate schools and everything, I thought, I'd like to go back and be an undergraduate again. Like... <laughs> I'd like to take a couple of humanities classes. That would be fun, you know, but I don't necessarily need to get another degree. Have you ever thought about, well, you have an MBA. You thought yeah, about I, have a, I have another degree. I don't think I'd want another degree, but yes, I'd be interested in the classes, but not the homework. Yeah. I just, I don't want to do any more homework. Yeah. I, didn't want to I still have nightmares about a Proust paper that I was an undergraduate Proust paper that I, I did turn in. But I, I just, I still have nightmares about it, Leanne. So I, I don't think I could take the stress of, of homework. But I think from the university's point of view, the reason they're probably doing this is they've got to come up with other ways to uh, generate income for the uh, revenue for the universities, you know, and that this is a whole different target market of, you know, people that, A, have the disposable income to pay for courses, um, uh, you know, that and to bring more people back on campus because, you know, the the economics of running a university have totally changed. I mean, a lot of people are just saying we're not, you know, not going to, you, know, uh, you know, buy this super, super expensive undergraduate education. This is it's out of my league. I'm, we're going to look for other things. Well, Julie, you would have an opportunity to be turned down at Harvard again if you wanted to. Because oh, that would be and fun. Stanford, because Stanford has a Distinguished Careers Institute. It's a one year adult education program aimed at professionals. Okay. It's 24 students and it's $62,000 for a year. <laughs> okay. That so that's cool. just, I mean, that's just, it's like getting, it's like getting a designer handbag. Like, that's what I it think. Is. That is that kind of degree. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a totally phony degree. It's phony on Stanford's part. Uh, a little, a small disclaimer, I did work for a very brief time at Stanford University. But I think that's, you know, just a, a you know, a phony degree. You know, a phony way to make money by Stanford, you know, so. Okay. I know. I think, should I go back, I'm better off at a community college. I'd like to do a study abroad. <laughs> a study abroad program? That's, that's responsible, Leanne. Yeah. Well, soon I will be an empty nester. I'm not oh. saying next year. Maybe the year after. Who knows? Wouldn't it be fun to go to Oxford for a semester? That would yes, be fun. Yes, that does sound fun, Leanne. Right? I okay. Think, I think your study abroad, maybe you could just, and you could, a cruise ship, Leanne. Like, you could get on one of those, those cruises that are always advertised uh, on PBS. <laughs> That's what you want. That's really what I want. I, I, I want a vacation degree. <laughs> All right. Anyway, there you go. Well, I'd, like, I'd be interested to, to know if satellite sister, sisters are interested in going back to school. Yeah. If people are getting degrees, how they're thinking of it. Because we are going to live longer. You know, it's not like, you know, even if you want to retire at like 60, 65, you're going to, you know, you're going to be around for a long time. And you know, that social security thing is going to go bust. So you better, you better come up with another way to generate a couple of dollars. That's what I think. Okay. Hey, Liam, we have some follow-ups from some of our past shows that I wanted to, uh, that were in the news and I wanted to mention them. First, we talked about Ellen Powell um, uh, on Satellite Sisters. She was, she's the Silicon Valley venture capitalist 
um, who um, who filed a sexual harassment suit against probably the most famous uh, venture capital firm in Silicon Valley, uh, Kleiner Perkins, Coffins and Buyers. And there was a big trial and she lost the trial, as as you know. Right. But um, she gave her first interview since the trial this week. And uh, it was kind of interesting. First of all, do you know she is the acting C- CEO of Reddit? So even oh, though... I didn't know that. Yeah, so I mean, even though... I mean, because I think conventional wisdom is if you file a sexual harassment uh, suit, you will never get another job. And someone like her, where she filed such a high-profile sexual har- you know, harassment suit or sexual discrimination suit... Uh, you know, in Silicon Valley, you would think that like all, you know, future doors of employment would be shut to her. But no, she's the acting CEO. So apparently um, she is, you know, that that has not stopped her career um, at all. And she said, you know, what she said is she's, you know, she saw herself as a very unlikely person to bring forward a suit like this. But that was not, you know, she didn't normally seek that kind of attention but she did say she's glad she did it, even though it was very, very difficult. And she said that these issues are not going to go away and that companies are going to need to work through the gender bias issues because they're here and, uh, and you know, and they're going to continue to be there. Mm-hmm. So um, also interesting to note that the partner at this firm, Kleiner Perkins, Coffin and Buyers, who fired Ellen because uh, he didn't think she could wasn't a team player. Well, he announced today that he's resigning from the firm oh. to pursue other pursue other spend more time with his family. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. So, but I'm sure for that firm, I mean, even though she didn't win, I mean, she certainly raised the issue, and uh, and as she as she said, it's not going to go away. Right. So, it won't go away. Okay. Good. Good. Good Second follow-up I wanted to mention, Leon, is the Journal of Pediatrics came out with a study this week. This is about breast milk. We were talking about it um, a couple uh, last week. That this is a totally unregulated market. You know that people go on the internet, they buy breast milk. They don't know, you know, where who they're buying it from, or people are selling breast milk. You know, and or you know, people that really need breast milk don't have a reliable source like the Red Cross you know, um, uh, for breast milk. Well, they did a study, uh, the Journal of Pediatrics, of breast milk that is being sold on the Internet. And do you realize that in this study, although it wasn't a large study, it was a, a reputable study, 10% of the breast milk that was sold on the Internet internet contained cow's milk. Now, Leanne, as you cast back to your early days of motherhood, you'll remember that children under the age of uh, a year are it's not... It's not recommended that they uh, drink cow's milk. And so they don't know why. That's a big deal, right. I I know. So they don't know why this is happening. But, you know, the the number of, of, you know, entries of people selling breast milk has grown from a very small amount. Like in 2011, there were maybe, you know, 10,000 people, you know, 10,000 ads on the Internet. Now there's over... 50,000 ads for people trying to sell breast milk on the internet that you have no way of knowing what you're getting. And in some cases, people obviously are like topping off breast milk with cow's milk. Right, right. Yeah. So oh, again, it underscores the position that the Satellite Sisters uh, hood, uh, is, uh, that Satellite Sisters is taking, uh, and I'm leading this charge, is that I think that there should be some national system 
where mothers who can donate milk can do so and know that they are donating it to, you know, a reputable organization and mothers and families that need breast milk can go there and get breast milk for free rather than this black market that that isn't regulated and obviously isn't safe either. Yeah, no, I know. That's pretty creepy when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. very okay. creepy. Oh, and then we have we we a third one, Leanne. <laughs> yes. Okay. On our Facebook, couple on our Facebook page, there was an update from our people, the Satellite Sisterhood. Wouldn't you know it? Julie mentioned a Fantasy Pants New York couple a couple of weeks ago who uh, had allowed their children to make some real estate decisions, and they ended up buying a $14 million uh, condo in New York uh, in a very Tony neighborhood. They were the Van Merkelsteins, Julie? Merkensteins? I'm trying to just... Merkensteins, which we noted sounded like the Monopoly name, you know? (laughs) Like... Like, oh no, break candle, Arbra at Van Merkenstein's dinner party, you owe $10, that kind of thing. So wouldn't you know, Jill, that several of the Satellite Sisterhood actually know the Van Merkensteins. They have been in the apartment, they have socialized with the family, they report back that they are a very nice family. So there you go. So... We're wrong again, Leanne. We usually are. I think I, I identified. I don't think we besmirched their character. We said this no. seems like a not a real trend. Not that, a real trend. It <laughs> seems like more of a one-off thing. Yes. 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 So and I'm glad that they're happy with their purchase, and that that sounds good. It seems like it's a win-win for them. Right? It really is. It really is. And we have an impressive network, Leanne, that, uh, that you know, we have people who know people. We so do. So that's, that's good. That yeah. is the Satellite Sisterhood in a nutshell, Julie. Everybody knows everybody. End of story. So we really have to be careful about what we say. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to go back to TV talk, huh? Yes, Leanne. You know, there was some sort of startling news on the New York Post, page six uh, today. Uh, you probably read in the paper or saw that... Dr. Frederick Brandt, who's a very famous dermatologist, um, was found dead in his home and that he was, uh, he hanged himself. And that um, today in the paper, some of um, Dr. Brandt's supporters and representatives have gone, have made statements that they believe um, that he was uh, deeply affected by a character on what has been a very you know popular show? It's popular here at Satellite Sisters, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, you may know this is the character that Martin Short plays um, on the, that series. It's Doctor Franf, um, and uh, it is a very thinly veiled, uh, thin, thinly veiled characterization that he's a dermatologist and he's um, you know and he's uh, is a comedic. It's a it's a bit of comedy on the show. But, um, yeah, it's support- a parody. It's a parody. It's a parody of a dermatologist yes. who went, has gone overboard with his own dermatology. So yeah. just a yes. lot of Botox almost transfigured his face until it's unrecognizable. Yeah, right. yeah. But, uh, but Tina Fey and Martin Short are mentioned that uh, that you know the supporters sort of Dr. Brandt are saying that he felt like this was mean characterization. They were making fun of him. They went so far as to use the word that uh, Tina Fey was bullying him. And that while he, you know, uh, the doctor was depressed and that was the, that was the cause of, you know, his suicide, uh, they, you know, they did mention the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt 
as you know, you know, in some way, it's contributing to uh, Dr. Brand's suicide. So it was, you know, sort of shocking for some, uh, you know, for someone to make that connection when I'm not. I'm not certain how they would know that, you know? Right. Well, you know, I have to just watch the, the Kenny Schmidt episodes uh, over the weekend and stuff. So I had gotten to the doctor parody. I didn't, I didn't know who it was until this news story yeah. broke. Like, so I guess if it was you, if it, you thought it was a parody of you, you would be more in sync with that. But I, I had no idea who that was. So, uh, I'm sorry, my phone's ringing. Uh, it's not great. Yeah, the German Shepherd puppy. I don't know how to dial Leon when he wants to <laughs> or when he wants to play hide and seek. Is that what's going on, Leon? So, uh, but I, I was super sad to hear of, of the suicide, and it seems like a little bit of a stretch to blame a television show, um, you know. But I think the whole thing is just sad all the way around. Someone commits suicide; it's really yeah, an act yeah. of deep depression, and um, I'm not sure a TV show can be to blame for that or not but uh that just made me sad for everybody involved particularly for the doctor apparently he has very good friends they all issued statements like kelly ripa how sad she was and um i'm sure the creators of the tv show uh, rightly or wrongly feel terrible so i'm sure they do yeah i mean, I mean that you know people you know said like if you are you know if they uh, make fun of you like on saturday night live that then you know you've really made it in the world you know because you're uh, you know sort of someone that you know is is recognizable and and i'm not i i assume that you know that they just you know that the creators tina fey and the other writers were were you know, it was it was in that theme of humor or in that vein of humor that they were trying to create this character of uh, Dr. Framp. Yeah, so. this whole show, if you haven't seen it, like every element of the show is completely over the top. Yes. I mean, yeah. it's like everybody is a parody of everything. Like there's there's no one who's sort of grounded in reality. Jane Kraskowski plays like an over-the-top New York matron and Kimmy Schmidt's roommate is this over-the-top actor, Titus, who can't get cast in everything. Uh, Kimmy Schmidt, the t- title character herself, like was a woman trapped in a bunker for 15 years. <laughs> so, I mean, every aspect of this show is nuts. So yeah, I, yeah. you know, it's hard to pinpoint that and say oh yeah this is where they really they really took it too far i don't i'm sure there was no ill intent on anything on any part any part all right well that i hope you know i i i share your sentiments yeah Hey, the other certain uh, TV show that uh, nor- I normally don't get to watch. I, I it's, it's on way too late for me, and I forget to DVR it. Um, and that is the John Oliver show uh, last night, to, uh, last week tonight. When I have seen it, I really, really like it. I mean, I think that guy is so smart and so clever. And he's bringing such a fresh perspective uh, to so many topics. And so uh, there was a lot of the news flurry about his interview with Edward Snowden. Okay. Do you know, I mean, and that really got, um, cause Edward Snowden, I am monitoring him. Okay. I, he is on, he's on my surveillance. Okay? Your watch list. Yes, Julie, Julie Dolan personal watch list. 
He's over there in Moscow, and I am all over him. I mean, you know, so he's somewhere between a whistleblower and a traitor, and I guess I'm leaning more towards the traitor side. I know other people feel that he's a whistleblower. But John Oliver, who does comedy, you know, um, he for some, somehow and for some reason, Edward Snowden agreed to be interviewed by John Oliver. And it is a, you can go to YouTube and you can watch the interview. Um, I, I recommend that you watch the whole thing. Did yeah, you, you need to watch it? the whole thing. Yes, we are big John Oliver fans here. Uh, yes. We are fans okay. of, from The Daily Show, but also we listen to his podcast, The Bugle, uh, regularly. So um, he's been doing that for years too. So my son, Colin, in particular, is a, a John Oliver acolyte. He can he can pretty much repeat um, entire shows or podcasts to you verbatim. <laughs> he loves John Oliver so much. So yeah. And we, we have watched Citizen Four. We just recently watched that. So we were very interested to see this Edward Snowden interview. And so it was an interesting setup because the first thing that John Oliver did is he went, he went to Times Square where the whole world uh, passes by and he just randomly, you know, he interviewed people asking them about Edward Snowden and he has, you know, he had, he had film of this and, you know, many people did not know who Edward Snowden was. Uh, some people um, had some vague uh, recollection of who he was. Uh, many people or several people uh, confused Edward Snowden with Julian Assange uh, of uh, WikiLeaks. So, uh, so in general, you know, there was this sense that Ed, you know Edward Snowden, who was hoping to really, by releasing all of these um, NSA documents, who was hoping to you know you know sort of jumpstart this giant dialogue about the role of government and surveillance. People don't even know who he is anymore. Right. You know, right. So that was kind of surprising to me. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I found the whole show very well set up, this particular, you know, this particular interview. And that was interesting because he, you know, I think Edward Snowden did think that he was going to jumpstart this conversation and that he would be long remembered. And and so that it was just very sobering to see the people in Times in Times Square. <laughs> And I thought John Oliver did an excellent job interviewing Edward Snowden. I mean, he asked him, you know, you know, very directly, did you read all the documents you released? And Edward Snowden said, well, I was familiar with all the documents, which is not the same as reading all the documents. Not the so same I, as reading. Yeah, that's the first yeah, time he so, admitted that. Yeah. Yeah, so I think he made several points about that, or and he was asking him if he missed America. And again, Edward Snowden had some kind of packaged, vague answer. But you know, I mean, he really, John Oliver, you know, did an excellent job interviewing him. And then uh, he sort of showed uh, John Oliver showed Edward Snowden the responses from uh, Times Square. You know, people didn't know who he was. Right. So I right. mean, it was. I, I liked it very much. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, Edward Snowden, you know, made some decisions and now he is, he's stuck there in Moscow. I mean, I, I don't know what the Russians are going to do with him. I mean, I think his usefulness to Russia is, um, has cer uh, certainly faded because he's no longer, you know, you know, people have forgotten, people have moved on from him. Right, right, right. Well, and, but I do watch the interview because John Oliver sort of boils it down to like, 
the one thing that Americans actually care about is yes. is the government knowing and being able to capture the naked pictures of yourself that you send yes. to people. Like, yes. forget, you know, secrets, forget phone numbers, forget who's talking to who, forget terrorism or acts of national security. People can't seem to get excited about that. Like, they don't really care if the government has access to their phone data for those reasons. But the fact that the government... And many, many different programs can capture the naked selfies you're taking and sending to people. <laughs> that that really got people's that attention. That gets people worked up because they want to continue to take pictures of themselves and they want to live in the in the fantasy that if they put that, you know, send that to someone that it's not in the public domain. Yes. Yeah, that was it's very effective in terms of pinpointing his audience, John Oliver's audience, and identifying what issue would make them care about this. So it was very effective. He, you know, he has been doing good work over there. He does uh, how it differs from The Daily Show or other, um, you know, and even a weekend update. He does kind of long form investigative mm-hmm. journalism with a comedic bent, but he's done really interesting and interesting piece on about the NCAA and just how much money they make from the March Madness tournament and why aren't we paying, you know, those athletes or giving, giving them some sort of, you know, monetary fund because lots of people are making billions of dollars on the backs of 18 and 19 year old athletes. And uh, he did the same thing with the Miss America contest. He looked into their claim that it was the largest scholarship organization in the world and found out in fact that very, very little money is going towards actual scholarships. And so he takes, you know, uh, he, he takes his time to sort of look into some of these uh, these questions, these journalistic questions. But he does it, obviously, with a humorous bent, bent but with a, very, a full and capable staff. So, yeah, I think it's a good show. I like it. All right. So that's a solid satellite sister recommendation. Yeah. Now, Leah, on a much uh, lighter note, but of, of some concern to me, I am worried about a TV couple. Okay. Now, I mean, do you follow TV couples? You know, like these are actors or, or personalities that are actually married to each other and uh, appear on TV together. They've that got- is not that appealing to me. No, it isn't. Okay, see, I know. And it started when I lived in New Orleans a uh, hundred years ago. There used to be the local newscasters, Angela Hill and Garland Robinette. Okay, they were they were at WWL, which is that's the flagship station, and they were really royal. They were royalty. I mean, she was this beautiful Texas blonde, and Garland Robinette, you know, was this New Orleans guy, and they got married. And it was like a giant deal that these two co. Anchors of the local TV show got married. Okay, people were like, we were, they were people were crazy about it. Okay, and they were married for for like nine, ten years, and then they got divorced. Later. Oh wow! They still had to be on TV together. Okay, so that was just so upsetting. So I, I just uh, said from early on, uh, it's just I, I like to you know I like to believe you know I believe in marriage, Leanne, and yeah. as you do. And I, I really root for these couples. So I was kind of shocked to read uh, in the last couple of weeks, Gina and Pat Neely are getting divorced. Now, do you know who these two are? Oh, I never get Maverick, the German Shepherd, is really good with the, with the dialing, Leanne. No, He's doing a call. Okay. Okay. 
Gina and Pat Neely. Do you know who these are? These two are. They are the stars of the Food Network show Down Home with the Neelys. Oh, I think I've seen the app. Oh, it's an adorable show. Okay, they are. They're like the two of them. Um, Gina and Pat are in the kitchen, and they're making all this like delicious, fattening food. And they're always like, there's a lot of like, I'll give you half a cup of sugar to my sugar. You know, there's a lot of like cute banter between them. It's just a very relaxing, fun show to watch, okay? They're getting divorced 20 years later, okay? I'm sad about this, okay? They're going to be pursuing their own careers, okay? I just, uh, I'm heartbroken for them because uh, I'm rooting for TV marriages. So now the one I'm really worried about because I love this show. I don't know if you watch on HGTV Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines. Oh, I have watched it a couple times. We don't, we don't buy them. We don't, we don't buy, we don't like them. You don't? No, I love them. I love Chip and Joanna. Okay, they're in Waco, Texas. Uh, Every house in Waco, Texas costs one hundred and twenty-five. I know. That's why I love it, Land. I mean, it's like it's like they're in heaven there, and they they have this farmhouse, and they have four children, and chickens, and goats, and they're so cute together. But I'm worried about them now, Land, because I feel like you know maybe. Maybe what the, what they're uh, portraying on TV is, you know, it's all going to blow up. Oh, too. I see. You're saying if the Neelys could. If the Neelys could be made up, for TV. If Angela yeah. Hill and Garland Robinette could break up, Leanne. Okay. okay. You see, this could happen really. to okay. Chip at Joanna Gaines. Okay. Uh, all right. I thought that, I thought you would observe something in their behavior. No, 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 no. Internet I'm rumors. For, I like that. I like to see. This is the what I like to see on TV. But maybe it's the pressure of being on TV. It's too much for these couples. You know. You know, it's too much for me. All those shows with many, many children. That's just, you know. <laughs> really? What's so? Why? Why don't you buy? You don't buy that? They I have know, first of all, I just I don't. I I'm against having children on the air. Like after John and Kate plus eight, didn't we learn anything about like exploiting children who have no say in the matter? And then the whole point of these shows seems to be getting more children. Like that's the only plot they have. Like, no, I it's not, Lee. They're fixing up houses. I don't. I don't. They know. all look the same, but it's okay. I don't. I don't understand. I don't understand the Duggars. They, they're having more kids, apparently, and I, I just don't understand. I don't understand those shows. So I feel like I grew up in a big family. I don't need to watch one on TV. And maybe that's the same way I feel about marriage. I would rather watch a fictional marriage on TV. <laughs> I'll just say it. I'll I'll say it. All right. Well, we'll say our prayers, though, for the Fixer Upper family. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, you know, you can always find us at SatelliteSisters.com. We're always there. And if you want to email us, you can email us at Sisters at SatelliteSisters.com. I did want to thank everybody who contributed. We asked you for a couple of things for You're the Best, our new book that's coming out in September. We asked about uh, your best friend and also who your fictional best friend might be. We got some great answers there. Uh, I was just on yesterday talking to the publisher about it. Very excited to see how 
how that turns out for the book in September. So Julie, I think that's it. We're pretty much all done. So it needs to go to the printer and and uh, get all tricked out. But really looking forward to being out and about with You're the Best, a celebration of friendship in September. And thanks to everyone in the Satellite Sisterhood who contributed. I think you'll have fun seeing your answers in the book. I know I had fun uh, organizing the material. So I think you're going to like it. Right, we're back. We're the Satellite Sisters, and we're here with Sister Sassnatch. This is our recap of Outlander for those of you watching the show on Stars, or those of you not even watching the show but just like to listen to our recap. Welcome to Sister Sassnatch. Outlander returned this weekend. Season one was split into two parts, so we had to wait a long time to get the second half of season one. And it was back with an episode called The Reckoning this week. Julie and I do this recap, but here's the deal. We come to it with with no sense of history, Julie, do we? We come to it with no special preparation. We're very freshly and fresh eyes on this. I haven't read the books. You've read the books, right? I don't know what is happening uh, or where it's going. And I'm very suspicious of time travel to begin with. Yes. But I have been an avid fan of the book since 20 years ago when they first came out. Thrilled to have it back to TV. And so let's kick it right off. Julie, this episode was called The Reckoning. All right. And there was a lot of reckoning. But you know what else there was a whole lot of, Julie? There was a whole lot of Jamie. This weekend, there was thoughtful Jamie, there was angry Jamie, there was pensive Mm -hmm. Jamie, there was Jamie on a rope, there was Jamie in a kilt, there was Jamie on the edge of madness, there was disciplinary Jamie, there was content Jamie, there was neo-feminist Jamie, there was Jamie from the front, and there was a lot of Jamie from the back, Julie, a lot of backside of Jamie this week. There's just a whole lot of Jamie going on, wouldn't you say? Leanne, I have to admit it. That is the, this episode is the most SEX I've ever watched on TV. I'm just saying it right now. I, I was like shaking after this episode. I mean, it was TV mature for sure. There was a lot I, of maturity. Do not let your kids watch this, okay? Do not. Woo. There was a lot of, but there was a lot of story that happened before the SEX, Julie. I mean, yes, let's face yes, it. Yes. So we'll break it down a little bit, but there were three main parts to this episode. Uh, just to recap, Jamie and Claire recently married, uh, sort of forced to get married, but found that they had a deep physical attraction on their honeymoon. And then wouldn't you know it, Claire is very deep, very deep physical attraction. Uh, Claire is kidnapped or taken into custody by the evil Captain Jack Randall and Jamie has to go rescue her. So that's where we pick up the story. In the meantime, the clansmen from the clans Mackenzie are collecting funds for the rebellion in support of Bonnie Prince Charlie Stewart. Uh, they're also trying to clear Jamie's name in an old murder charge. Uh, but meanwhile, Claire is captured by Jamie's nemesis. Captain Jack Randall. So Jamie has to go rescue her, which is a dynamic scene. So we it's see- an excellent scene. Yes. It kind of reminded me a little of what the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and the Lion breaking into the Wicked Witch's <laughs> castle. I mean, didn't it? I mean, it was excellent how they over, you know, they overpowered all the guards and he's swinging in and climbing up stuff. So it was very exciting that way. Yeah, except it certainly made the British look completely hapless. You know, wouldn't you say that? Like, if you're British, you are not enjoying this television show at all. (laughs) No, no. no. (laughs) You're either an idiot or a sadist. There's no in-between in the show. Like, if you're Scottish, 
You love it. If you're Irish, you're on board. But if you're actually English, you are not enjoying this TV show. So we had the dramatic break-in. The break-in. I was a little perplexed by this scene because at the moment that Jamie breaks through the window to save his beloved Claire, Claire is being attacked by um, by uh, uh, Jack Randall, Jack, yeah. Black Jack Randall. So he is mid-attack and he's talking to Jamie. I was like, how are you doing that? How are you talking and attacking at the same time? If, you know, that was that was the start of this episode, Lee, and I was my eyes were popping out. Okay, <laughs> did you worry about the to- uh, the talking and the attacking at the same time? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't. I, I was fixated on Jamie for most of the episode. So that, and he had the gun, and I thought, what's he going to do? He's going to, he could rip his head off. Is he going to shoot Claire? Does he even know how to shoot a gun? Because the Scotsmen don't really seem to use guns. They just seem to have knives and kilts as weaponry. I don't know. So I wasn't, I was surprised though. I guess, as you mentioned, there was a lot of talking that was happening was- during that. Now that you mention it. Talking and attacking. That was so. It was very brutal. It was very um, scary. Uh, but uh, Jamie, Jamie was magnificent. So uh, you know that was that was great. I was just so surprised by what happened next. I mean, Leanne, that that he then sort of turned on Claire like that. Did you anticipate that? Of course, you read the books. I read the books, but it's been a while. Although I did read it again last night. I uh, last year. I thought that was a fantastic scene. Like finally, we get to see Jamie say more than three words in a row. I think that's yes. why I like this episode because he's been sort of the strong silent type. Like yes. you know, a sentence here, a sentence there, a lot of good lighting uh, all throughout the series. Just Jamie's face half lit. Various things, but in this episode, he did a tremendous amount of talking. He did the whole point of view switched. He did the voiceover in the beginning, and then we get this dynamic scene where the two of them just go at each other, like screaming and yelling. There just was what it was. The fight scene was so realistic. I mean, <laughs> I just... <laughs> That's the fight I have in my head with my husband occasionally. I think I've had it out loud with my husband. <laughs> I mean, it was like some acting with a capital A and some writing with a capital W. And it was very realistic, these two spouses sort of forced together, each coming from very different places and different times, truly different times, frankly, different countries, uh, just going at it like full force. I I thought it was a very dynamic scene. It was excellent. It was was truly excellent. So... and I didn't know where, what, you know, where that would lead them. I mean, I guess I was so surprised because they had been so lovey-dovey on their, uh, on their honeymoon. But uh, he was really mad at her. He was, he was really steamed that she disobeyed him and uh, then jeopardized uh, the rest of the clan because they had to go rescue her and riled up um, Black Jack Randall. So, I mean, he had his point of view. But she wasn't backing down because she's clear. Right. And then he had, I thought it was over. You know, you kind of thought, oh, they had it out. They won't speak for a couple of days, not speaking from personal experience, but okay, they won't talk for a couple of days and then that'll be that. But what we didn't know was that the rest of the men, uh, the rest of the dirty Scottish men, uh, they were not going to forgive Claire because she had put them in danger. So custom said that he, he had to beat her, which was a very disturbing scene to watch. 
There was nothing. It was very traumatic. They had to go up to his room and the clan wasn't going to forgive her until she had literally taken her punishment. And the press materials called it a spanking scene, but it wasn't spanking. He was like hitting her with a leather belt. It was 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 dramatic and upsetting. I, I was very, very upsetting. That's why I was shaking. I mean, yeah. that I, uh, one of the reasons why I, why I was shaking, and I kept thinking, oh, well, he's not going to, he's going to back down. Right. Or he's going to get up to the room and they're going to start kissing and making up. And, but yeah, yeah, I just, I've never seen anything like that. I don't want to see anything like that. Um, uh, you know, and I'm sure, you know, they were trying to, uh, to do it in a delicate fashion, but it was just brutal. That's the kind of thing you read in a book. Uh, but I don't, I don't really want to see that on TV. So, yeah. But when you think about it sort of in the context of the larger series, you know, we did see in the, a couple of episodes back, the very dramatic scene where Jamie is flogged, Yes, you know, to within an inch of his life, there was a lot of blood. It was very gruesome and very realistic. And there will be having read the books, much more physical peril ahead for both of them and other people in the show. And I think to me, it just speaks of the times that these were like very physically exhausting, dangerous times for people. And there was not the same standard of behavior that we have now, or theoretically we have now. We certainly don't have the, you know, women deserve to be beaten until they obey their husband, but he was also serving the clan too. So it wasn't even just the husband and wife thing. He had to, he had to respond to the clan. it was super upsetting, but I think it was supposed to be very upsetting. And yeah, that's- I, mean, I know it was sort of culturally accurate, yeah. but I, I still... You didn't like I, it. I, I don't think we needed to do that. Okay, all I, right. Know, I mean, this is one where they did not have to do that. I, okay. I objected to it, Liam. All yes. right, but then I thought it made, when Jamie comes back to her and sort of kneels before her and pledges his fealty to her, I thought it made that much more believable, like less hokey because he really understood like he can't treat Claire like that. It's not going to roll, even though that is the Scottish tradition that men have treated their women like that for years. Like he actually had to come to, uh, to terms with a different way to treat her. So I thought it made that seem more believable. Yes. Yes. So then Lee, and then we get to the SEX scene. Yes. Okay. It's sex, Julie. It's, <laughs> it's a sex scene. And and as the author, Diana Gavilon has said, they have a very passionate relationship. They yes, have a very they passionate yes, relationship. And they were having a very passionate relationship at the end of this show. My goodness, Leanne. I, I just, I, I gobsmacked. Totally gobsmacked. I was like, no, they're not going to do that. Oh, they're doing that. Oh, they can't possibly do that. Oh, there it goes. There it goes. I was, I was like... It's the most sex I've seen on TV, William, ever. Okay. And what's, what's really sad is when I'm watching it, I'm thinking about you watching it. That, like, oh, Julie must be hating this. And so, <laughs> Julie must be so uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, it's no down nabby, William. That, that's. We're in Scotland now, William. Okay, they do it a little differently. That's right. Whew. And in the middle of it all, we still had the Klansmen, we had the Rebellion, we had a lot of scenes where people on the Satellite Sisters Facebook page said they could neither understand the accents nor see because of the dark lighting. I love that. I thought I was alone because I kept hitting the volume. Okay, there's several strategies for trying to listen to this show. One strategy that a lot of uh, listeners uh, are talking about is you just crank up the volume as loud as you can. Okay. 
<laughs> then the people are hoping for uh, hoping for closed captions so that read it because we just cannot understand what they're saying uh there was someone who's got some kind of earplug set up and she feels like that is working better Lynn. Yes. what is your she strategy headphones. you know uh i find that i can understand most of it there were a couple of low talking scenes between the Mackenzie and dougal uh that i couldn't quite understand what the Mackenzie was saying but you know i figure it'll all come out in the end in the wash i'll be able to figure it out <laughs> i'm i'm pretty good with the Scottish, so I haven't missed too many things. But I, I don't mind watching the episodes again, Julie. I don't mind watching them well, again. Well, see, that, normally that's how I prepare, Lynn. You, uh, you know yes. how hard I prepare yes. uh, for the for these uh, kind of discussions. But I, I just couldn't watch that uh, a second time. <laughs> and I'm afraid what's going to happen this weekend. I mean, where can you go from there? You know? I mean, oh, okay. Well, I know where you can go from there, but we're not... <laughs> Woo, Liam. <laughs> okay. Julie, I'm proud of you. Really, I'm proud of you for opening yourself up. I think you're learning a lot about Scotland, wouldn't you say? Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am, Lynn. <laughs> a lot about Scotland. All right. We love hearing your comments on the Satellite Sisters Facebook page. You can always join us there. Thanks for everybody who's watching along an Outlander. There was a lot of excitement this weekend, a lot of good discussions afterwards. Uh, Julie, what do you think about that little Missy trying to tempt Jamie? You think that's going to oh. come back to haunt? She, she yes she yeah. is not going to give up yeah. you can just see that she is going to be around she is just going to be popping out of that bodice uh she's she's gonna she's coming back right. she feels like she can just get she wants jamie no one else put her on your watch list julie put her okay. on your watch list i will i will all right we're the satellite sisters don't forget call your satellite sister <laughs>